Hey Ryan, it's great to see you. Hi. Hi guys. Thank you so much for inviting me today. It's great to have you. Hey, um, I'm going to start by just reading the your description from LinkedIn because that's a great what you do is incredible, and I couldn't figure out how to say it. So. Uh, <laughs> Everyone, this is Dr. Ryan Allard, it led transport research that fed the New York Times bestseller Drawdown, the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming. He led teams that researched building solutions and was a key contributor to research in several other sectors that contribute to global warming. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you. And I wanted to just sort of say in a fun way that I was so excited to come across. Well, Drawdown, because I've been in climate action for so long, Drawdown was really exciting to me, but I was just dying for e-bike. I was like, I need, e I need something that's attached to climate and carbon emissions. And, and, and it's almost like Drawdown was early with that. Like I needed a book that said e-bikes and <laughs> had some sort of carbon emissions attached to it. So I am saying from the bottom of my heart, Thank you for that, because it was like the first book that actually even put it together, which continues to be Lindsay and Mai and the Bikes for Climate World. So thank you so much for that. I can just mention quickly about the e-bike. We, so, you know, we, we included a lot of different solutions and e-bike didn't come up initially, but in the research for bike infrastructure, we realized, wait, e-bike is a huge thing. Should we have a separate solution? Oh my God, Ryan, that's so great because I was, that was a question I had for you. Like, why does it just keep not coming up? And so you guys dug in, you didn't expect it to come up and there it was. Absolutely. Keep telling us about that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it was, you know, we were doing research on bike infrastructure, right? And bike infrastructure, of course, global issues, the global, global growth. Certainly there's more adoption in some parts of the world than others, right? So you come across millions, hundreds of millions of bikes in, in China, for instance. You have several all over Europe. You have some pockets in the US and you have some in other parts of the world. Then we realize, wait a second, many of the bikes in, in China particularly are electric. Because you know, they're actually replacing people walking as well as people's cars because of the density of the cities and the vast numbers of people that live there. In Beijing, Shanghai, you know, just just it just makes a lot more sense for people to get bikes, e-bikes especially. So we thought about this. How do you include that in a bike infrastructure solution? Because we're talking about the infrastructure rollout. We're saying that research indicates that the more bike lanes you have, the more people use bikes. But the research focuses on, on regular bikes, right? Non-e-bikes. Non so we realized that actually a lot of people were also using e-bikes and it's causing a bit of, of tension in some parts of the world where the adoption of both is so high that policymakers need to actually have restrictions on e-bike usage in bike lanes, mm -hmm. right? So we realized, wait, this is actually maybe a separate solution. So that's why it ended up being, you know, us developing a whole new solution, a whole new report, a whole new model just for e-bikes. Wow, that is so cool. And we're so glad we did too. Oh, yeah. Can you give us a little bit more of your background leading up to your research in this? Yeah, absolutely. So I started out doing, well, I mean, it depends on how far back you want to go. But <laughs> my background was in aerospace engineering way back when, right? I ended up working in a couple of the industries, working in consulting and finance, just to kind of understand how the world works. And I, I realized that 
transportation is considering that my initial first degree was in aerospace engineering and I always had an affinity for things that moved as opposed, right? And I realized when I was working in some of these other fields that transportation still drew me, still attracted me because it's so, so much of our life depends on it, right? On a daily basis, you're always interacting somehow with the transport system, whether you like to think of it or not. You might be in your bubble of a car but you have to interact with other people in their bubbles of a car, right? You maybe you only walk to work, but your walking experience depends on what the city and the environment that you live in has developed for walking, right? So I realized that you know the, the congestion that I was experiencing around me needed some, some more thought, some more research, some more work on it. So I ended up doing my master's and PhD in transportation systems. Since then, I have been involved with Project Drawdown, basically. You know, because after I finished the research, especially with my focus on intermodality, which is the connectedness of transport systems, right? <laughs> and I, I did that and I was looking around for, you know, how I could use my skills, use my experience. And somebody indicated to me that there's this project, this research project called Project Drawdown. That's how they said it to me, you know, it's a research project, like any other research project. Oh, yeah. Said, okay, I'll have a look, I'll have a look. This was early, you know, this was maybe... 2016 to me. Wow. Right? So the, yeah. the group was formed in 2014, but I heard about it 2016. And I, I looked at it, I realized this is much more than just a project. You know, this is this is global impact uh, of you know turning climate change in from a problem into a solution, into solutions that we can think about and use and implement, and you know, it's gonna change our language and it turns out that, that all of that has happened. And I think that. In our own small way, we have started to change the world. You know, the language around climate change has changed. The, you know, the, how people talk about the problem has changed. They talk about the solutions. You know, people look at the, the list of solutions differently. It's no longer just e-bikes or rather EVs, especially is what we'll talk about a lot. It's no longer just EVs and, and cleaner grid. Now people are using a lot more other solutions in their in their mental space when they're thinking about what can be done you know mm -hmm. it's it's been very enlightening i think for myself and to see how the world has responded to our work mm -hmm. and it's it's been professionally good for me to kind of um, to get that exposure also so, mm -hmm. so i think it, it worked in both ways and it worked as a as a way for the world to learn more about the potential solutions and for us to kind of develop the organization to be a lot of voice in that solution space. How big an impact do you feel like and how wide is the message right. of the Project Drawdown going? Um, the book has been, is being used by policymakers around the world mm -hmm. for, for discussing climate solutions. It's being used by nonprofits around the world at all levels, all scales. It's being used by researchers, you know, um, we're seeing in, in the climate change research that product drawdown has been used as a reference, right? We're looking at many people certainly attending the conferences. You know, we had a virtual conference in January, but we had, I think it was over 3,000 attendees to this conference. There was a joint conference between Project Drawdown and the National Council for Science and the Environment, NTSC. And, you know, we had several thousand, you know, engaged attendees there. People are talking about it and using the language on a daily basis, which is excellent to see. Um, people are continually referring back to the product drawdown 
methodology for the drawdown list of solutions or the mosaic of solutions because it's not just a list in it, it's, it's integrated in different ways. Can you so, give an example of like the different language people are using? Oh, so just the word drawdown itself mm. was not being used before the book was published. Right, so now you see again research or policymakers saying we can reach drawdown. Mm -hmm. They may not be talking about the book or the organization or anything like that, but they say, you know, this is important for us to reach drawdown. Mm -hmm. Before it would have been something like to achieve the Paris Agreement, I mean, to get to two degrees, which is a very abstract concept, right? Of right. one point five degrees, but to reach drawdown is a very it's a very clear thing. Hopefully, you think it's clear. You know, try to describe it what that means every chance we get right it's but a really it, cool it, word it's like it sounds like like a movie like it, it does draw down right <laughs> it would make yeah. a great it would make a great almost disaster ride yeah. a bike ride a bike or draw down <laughs> <laughs> so the the initial idea came from paul hawken right who is well known you know sustainable business guy and he was asking the question, I don't know how many years ago it was, about what, where, where is the set of solutions? What is the plan for reversing global warming, right? And, you know, where, where's the summary of all the solutions? And he wasn't seeing it. He said he was asking for many, many years. No one has given him a, a compelling answer. So in 2014, he decided to make the organization that can answer that question. I'm really interested if you have any thoughts on what policy leaders, so city, state, federal policy leaders, if you've been watching this space and from your perspective now, what are they not getting? You know, why is everybody, we're going to electrify everything and all they're thinking about is cars and fleet. Do you have any opinion on that? Or have you seen any particular policy leaders or kind of I don't know, mayors that are sticking up their head in the right way. Are you hopeful, I guess, would be another yeah. question. <laughs> right, right. There's a lot of questions, Andrea. Sorry. Pick one. Pick one. Well, I think, I think many of them are starting to take action, some sort of action. But they, I'm not sure if they're spending enough time to understand the details behind the full gamut of solutions out there, right? So the big ticket things that people are always talking about in the media, especially the high-tech media, they would say, oh, let's do some of that. Let's, let's do the, the EVs especially, right? That's a big thing for cities, clearly. So let's, let's do an EV program. Or they would say, let's, do, uh, let's work on electrification on the grid, right? So... Those are certainly big and very important solutions, but those are only a couple of the large number of solutions that already exist. And what we found at Project Jordan is that these solutions have existed for some time, right? It's just that nobody collated all that research together and compared them, which is what we did. So many people in the urban space, for instance, have been talking about the importance of mass transit, the importance of walking and biking and now we bikes. They've been talking about those let's say active, active transport solutions for a very long time as a way to make cities more livable, to make them more comfortable, to make them more welcoming to let's say people who have, have uh, reduced mobility, but just anybody generally, right? Because when you design a city for cars, you take away a lot of space. Like you've talked about in your podcast before, you take away a lot of space that could be used for many other things to improve the quality of life, right? So that's not new. We haven't done anything, any new research on that. All we've done is put it in the context of climate change and other solutions. So I think they're not 
all of them are not taking the, the, list, the set of solutions and putting it back into all the, the advice that they've been receiving for years, probably, from all the experts. So um, I would love to ask you about the math around e-bikes and bikes um, and just your methodology and your findings. To talk about the modeling that we did, you have to start with the, the high-level approach, right? Because now we're looking at <clears throat> over 80, modeling in detail, over 80 very different types of solutions, right? Some solutions are about changing agricultural practices, some are about dealing with materials in a different way, some are about transportation and mobility, movement of people, some are about movement of goods. So you have to have a, a platform that's flexible enough to be adapted to each solution. So the ones that are most relevant to what we're talking about today would be the, the model called the RRS model, or the Reduction and Replacement Solutions model, which means that you are reducing consumption in some way or you're replacing it with something else, right? Something more sustainable. So in this model, what we're looking at typically is how we're replacing some function, some unit of function that has been provided to society. In many of the transport solutions, this is mobility. Right? So passing the kilometers or passing the miles. Let's say. So we're looking at, let's say we have, you know, 100 passenger miles currently being provided by combustion engine cars. Right? We have that, that's the current adoption of combustion engine cars. We want to figure out what would be the emissions and the cost, the financial impact, if we replace those 100 passenger miles with uh, something that's more sustainable. It could be walking. It could be an e-bike, it could be an EV, right? So that means, of course, you have a lot of interaction things to worry about. And we, we try to segment the different parts of the total demand for mobility in cities, let's say, that is being provided by different modes of transportation. And we say, let's replace one segment with one solution. What's the impact, right? So we're actually, in the model, imagining two different worlds. One world where we continue on the trajectory we are now, and we say, well, you know, by 2050, we have gridlock in cities using cars, basically, right? Cars are expanding in usage around the world. As countries get richer, they buy more cars. Everybody's driving more. As people get wealthier, they're driving longer distances. That's one world. And in the other world, we're saying, well, now we have this much more sustainable, sustainably unbalanced system. We're not just replacing everything, all the cars with bikes, we're replacing them with a combination, walking, biking, EVs, mass transit, etc. Right? So can I, I want to break in there because I think that that's a really interesting point. And because it's always like cars or bikes, right? There's always this just one or the other. And I think your point and stuff that I've seen in all the other climate action work I do is we have all these organizations or people that are focused on the one thing and they don't step back and see it. And so your idea of the sustainably balanced system takes into account that there are gonna be a whole bunch of people that aren't gonna give up their cars, you know, like, and, and, and how that works. So I really appreciate that sustainable, balanced kind of right. multitude of things. So anyway, that's yeah. a great point. That actually, that point you highlighted there is about giving choice to people, mm -hmm. right? And that's mm -hmm. something that sometimes some parties, like the Republicans, they often say, okay, this is taking away something. 
Yeah. But actually, you want to also make sure people know that you're creating opportunities. You can choose different modes. Mm -hmm. It's not just forcing you into car. I'm kind of wondering if you've sort of done a landscape as you look at transportation research broadly, are you seeing that more people, more researchers are digging into bikes and e-bikes for climate or is it still kind of not as sexy, if you will? You know how everyone's like EVs, EV cars, and that's really sexy. I think um, clean energy is really sexy you know, and building efficiency, as you know, is really sexy. What are you seeing in your peers or just in the general transportation research and climate discussion? Is this gaining steam? Is it getting sexier? Is it starting to get funded? Can you, do you have any ideas on that? Well, I don't think it's getting sexy yet. <laughs> Shoot. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm not seeing it. They're still talking about EVs like crazy. Oh, darn. It's all about the e-trucks now. It's about yep. Tesla. It's about the billions of stock, billion dollars of stock in Tesla. Except last year, because we had COVID, there was a shift in some cities, right? The question is, how long will that shift last? Right? Will people permanently change their behavior, which is an important thing, mm -hmm. or Will people go back once, you know, all the, everybody has a vaccine and you know, there are no more lockdowns. Now we go back to just driving because I don't want to be on the bike. Andrew and I have a theory that if we had real bike infrastructure, Dutch style, many cities in the U.S., could get to 30% of bike. And actually I, I did the Dutch embassy webinar. So interesting. Their mission in life is to spread bike facts, you know, yeah. do a bike network. And what they were talking about is they think the ideal network in any city is call it 30, 30, 30, 10, 30% car. Cause of course you have like ADA, you have people who absolutely need their cars, 30% bikes, 30% transit, 10% walking. Let's just get, let's just say 30% just cause that's what Amsterdam and Copenhagen hit. The numbers we really want to bring to our elected officials is look at the math on how much impact 30% trips by bike can have. And then, but what's so fascinating is that then you could, if you can add the price, it's just, to me, that's a very compelling argument that like, you know, EVs, you, got, you guys are going to spend so much money. My God, with bikes, you're going to save all this money and you're going to help us hit these massive climate goals. So that, that's doable because I think some cities already have their climate analysis done. Certainly New York has it, right? So they know what these the sources of their emissions. So they know that, okay, well, all the transport emissions amount to this 100 million tons of carbon dioxide, let's say, over a year. So if you have 30% of that be by bikes, then you know 30% of that is gone, more or less, right? So you can do that math already at the end goal. Thank you, Ryan, for coming yes. to Bike Talk. Thank you. Awesome to talk to you. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is biketalkpfk. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 